First Peter 1, 3-9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Almighty Father, we thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we thank you. uh, We thank you that it means more than we could ever in this life fully comprehend. And yet, it means its significance and its meaning can be grasped immediately by the smallest child. It is both utterly simple, death is defeated, and therefore we can have hope. And it is also at the same time a mystery greater than the deepest mysteries of our universe. And I expect it will take us all eternity to fully unpack the deep joy that you have given us. So, Father, we ask that you'll help unpack something of that joy now and that you will teach us and grow us. Holy Spirit, overcome every obstacle to seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ right now. So we invite you in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, uh, will you please uh, turn back to page uh, 10, I believe. So we're going to be looking mainly at uh, 1 Peter and uh, also the book of Revelation. And here's, we're, we're going to keep talking today about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and here's the question that uh, I want to focus on this week. And he, here's the question. How does the resurrection of Jesus Christ give Christians resilience in times of uh, difficulty, uncertainty, uh, suffering, pain. Now, here's why I'm asking that question. How does Jesus give us resilience in the midst of difficulty? And in particular, how does the resurrection of Jesus give us resilience in the time of difficulty? I'm asking that question for at least two reasons. One, we're in time of uncertainty, obvious. Here's the other reason. Early Christianity was famous, notorious for its capacity to be resilient in times of terrible difficulty. Uh, Just consider for a minute, Christianity was born in the midst of suffering, right? I mean, that's obvious because all of Christianity is based on the idea that God in Christ has suffered for us. It's the basis of everything. But on the other hand, Christianity grew, gained momentum as a movement uh, over the course of about 300 years of almost constant persecution and suffering. 
adversity. So it, you know, it took it took three hundred years of the early, the most formative part of the Christian history happened in time of almost constant persecution. Three hundred years of it, and that's when they gained momentum. Very often, we think that a movement is going to gain momentum in times of where everything's great and easy and stuff like that. But Christianity gained momentum in times of great uh, insecurity, uncertainty, suffering, difficulty. The reason I point that out is to say this, adversity and difficulty is Christianity's native habitat. It's the habitat in which Christianity grew originally. Now, uh, for many modern Christians, that's not obvious. So uh, very, very often modern Christians, maybe some of us right now, are surprised by the experience of suffering. Um, I didn't think that this would happen in my life. And what's God doing in my life right now? And how can God allow this to happen? Now, those are totally uh, understandable questions. All of us wrestle with it. But it's interesting, isn't it? That early Christians were not as surprised by the experience of difficulty, adversity, suffering. They weren't as surprised by it as, as we tend to be. In fact, that's kind of they were remarkably resilient in it. It was kind of their normal. Now, part of why that's important is this. If you and I wanna learn how to be resilient in times of suffering, then it makes sense for us to go to the experts, which is another way of saying, it makes sense for us to go to the early Christians and to that early movement and see how they built resilience. Now, our two readings uh, from 1 Peter and from the book of Revelation were both written uh, to help early Christians build that resilience in times of difficulty. We're going to focus mainly on the one from uh, 1 Peter, that, that first uh, reading, that short one in, on page 10. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we're also going to dip, dip into uh, the, the reading from Revelation just a little bit. And here's what I want to show you. I want to show you three things. The resurrection of Jesus Christ builds resilience by giving us hope, which leads to faith, which leads to love. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us resilience by building hope. Now, turn over to the uh, reading from 1 Peter. This is the Apostle Peter writing to a group of Christians in uh, what is now modern-day Turkey, and they were all of them suffering, and so he's, he's encouraging them. And he begins... Uh, with this uh, outburst of praise. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's promised, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope. Note that, living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing, kept in heaven for you. Now, um, notice that, word living hope and and just think about hope for a minute uh, most people i think most people intuitively know that the key to perseverance in the midst of difficulty is is hope so if your hope is high you're probably gonna, you're probably going to make it if your hope is low then we all fall apart hope is the key to resilience now if that's true then that means that it really really matters what it is we build our hope on. Does that make sense? Think of it this way. Uh, when you go through a difficult time, 
usually instinctively without anybody telling us that we need to do it or without us thinking about it cognitively, usually what we do is we instinctively place our hope in things that seem like they're gonna make it, that they're going to help us through, something that seems stronger than uh, the present difficulty we're in. And, and usually it's, it's, it's kind of straightforward. It, it's things like, um, uh, uh, I'm going through a difficult time, uh, but I know I'm gonna make it, It'll all be okay because uh, I'm I'm I've always I'm all, I've always been smart and I'm gonna live by my wits and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna figure this out I'm gonna dig down deep and I'm gonna make it or so you're placing hope in in your abilities your talent whatever uh, or I'm going through a difficult time but I know I'm gonna make it because um, my I invested my money well and I know it's gonna be there like I I you know I bought Apple when it was like fifty cents a share or something like that and and it'll be fine because my bank account or whatever. Or um, I know I'll be okay because I, whatever happens, I, I'll, at least I'll have my family. Or I know I'll be okay because I might not have a family anymore, but I have my career and it's going well and that'll make me be okay. Now, do you see what's happening there? We tend to rely on something like a well-diversified portfolio of hope. And so we face a difficulty and we attach ourselves instinctively to things that seem reliable and that should be able to help get us through. Now, that makes all the sense in the world. And in one way, there's something inevitable about that. But here's the problem. Let's say I put my deep hope in a well-diversified portfolio. So a little bit of family, a little bit in work, a little bit in my physical health, whatever it might be. But then I begin to experience not just tough times, but real difficulty, like real suffering, like it really comes down to the wire. Now, those foundational sources of hope are going to start being stress tested, right? Now, if they fall, the disaster will be compounded exponentially. If family falls, and I've been trusting in it, or if my work ends up being empty of meaning. Maybe I'm succeeding financially, but it's just empty of meaning, or I get sick. If those foundations fall and I built my life on them, then it's not only that I will lose those things, I will lose myself. I will be destroyed. If I've tethered myself to these sources of hope and they fall or prove vulnerable, then I'll lose not only those things, I'll lose myself because I'll lose all hope. Well, let me say it in an entirely different way. I will share the destiny of whatever I hope in the most. Now, keep that in mind and go back to the reading. The early Christians looked at Jesus Christ in particular, his resurrection. And they said, listen, Jesus died on the cross, but remarkably, he, he didn't stay dead. He defeated death, he rose from the dead. And if that's true, thought the early Christians, here's the logic, then there is at least one invulnerable source and basis for hope. There is one basis for hope that nothing in this world can touch because it's already overcome death. And if it's true, thought the early Christians, if it's true that I will share the destiny of whatever it is that I 
place my hope in the most, then if that's true, then why wouldn't I fully invest my deepest and most fundamental hope in Jesus Christ? Because he's already defeated death. And if I belong to him, then his victory becomes my victory. And therefore, nothing can destroy me forever. It's an unfading, imperishable inheritance, says our text. And therefore, the early Christians said, nothing in this world is strong enough, even the best things, are not strong enough to uh, bear the weight of my fundamental hope. And therefore, I am putting all my confidence in Jesus Christ. I am fully and unreservedly investing myself in hoping in Jesus's resurrection. Now, can you see how radical that is? And this is part of why Peter describes the Christian life is he says, it's, it's like being born again. Um, have you ever heard of being a born again Christian? Um, very often, I don't know if you've heard of that phrase, but it, it's often associated for a lot of people with kind of weirdos. But here's the thing, to be born again, it means something wonderful. It means that God the Father makes Jesus's resurrection our final and full and exclusive source of fundamental deep hope for this life and for the next. And when God the Father gives us that gift, it's like starting life all over again. It's like being born again. And we find ourselves desiring, aspiring to divest ourselves and invest ourselves. We want to divest ourselves uh, from our well-diversified portfolio of hope in this life. It's, it's, we still value all these wonderful gifts, family, career, health, all that. We still value those things, but we don't place our fundamental hope in them. Rather, we want to invest our final fundamental hope in Jesus's resurrection. And it, that produces remarkable resilience. Why were the early Christians so resilient? Well, they'd been born again into a hope that could not be destroyed. And therefore, they couldn't be destroyed. They could die, but they couldn't really be destroyed. Not deeply. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ builds resilience by giving us hope. But then that hope, secondly, leads to faith. Go back to the text. Verse 5 says, uh, Who by God's power, continuing the same sentence, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time? Now, what does it mean to be guarded by God's power through faith? Well, to answer that question, I want you in your mind to go to the second reading, the, the reading from the book of Revelation. We dealt with this reading last week, but we're going to return to it. Remember the scene. John, the last living apostle, last living disciple of Jesus, he's an old man. He's living out his last years in prison on the island of Patmos. All of his closest friends are dead. Uh, he's just been traumatized by being tortured by the Romans, and uh, the churches that he helped build are, seem to be falling apart. Now, John does not have the luxury of a well-diversified portfolio of hope. Every basis for hope in this world has failed him, but all his hope is placed in Jesus Christ. However, he has more, here's what I want to show you, he has more than just hope for the future. It's not like John's saying, oh, life's terrible, but you know, eventually I'll die and then it'll get better. That's not it. Go to the story of Revelation. Remember John's vision of Jesus. We talked about this last week. Remember what he's got in his two hands, Jesus. 
On the one hand, Jesus is holding in the vision the keys of death and Hades. And that means that Jesus' resurrection was a revolution. It was, as we said last week, a regime change at the heart of the universe. Death has been defeated. Jesus holds the keys, and therefore it means that Jesus is sovereign. He's got all the power, more power than anything. And that was last week. But then also remember what Jesus is doing with his right hand. While holding the keys of death in Hades, with his right hand, he reaches out and he touches John. In the midst of John's fear and anxiety and suffering and everything, he touches him. Now, note the intimacy there. Now, what did that touch mean? A thousand things, but here's one. It was as if Jesus was saying to John, 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 I know all about your suffering, John. John, I've suffered just like you have and worse. Now, John, do you think, it's as if Jesus says, John, do you think that I'm going to leave you now? Like, having defeated death and Hades through dying and rising again, John, do you really think I'm going to abandon now those for whom I gave my life? John, with respect, how dare you think something like that? Stop it. It's as if Jesus looks at John and says, John, look at my sovereignty. I hold all the keys. But then, also see my nearness. John, I love you. I lead you. I guard you. And I guard you moment by moment and breath by breath. All my sovereignty is marshaled to give you everything you need, moment by moment and breath by breath. And therefore... As you depend upon me, John, the theme of your life will eventually be the Lord Jesus was faithful to all his promises. Now keep that in your mind and go back to 1 Peter. Because Jesus' resurrection, catch this, Jesus' resurrection means that God is guarding his people moment by moment and breath by breath with the same invincible power that raised Jesus from the dead. Did you know that? Now, here's the deal. I know some of us are suffering. Like for some of us, it's getting bad. And when it's bad, it doesn't always feel like God is guarding you by his power, does it? And I want to say that it's okay to feel that. Uh, It appears that Jesus felt that the night before he was killed. And Jesus charts our path here. So if we were to look at the rest of First uh, Peter, two chapters later, uh, Peter writes this. He, he basically says, listen, when Jesus suffered, he didn't threaten, he didn't, uh, what he did is he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, meaning he entrusted himself to God in the midst of the darkness. Now that's the standard path for a believer. That's the That's the path of faith. Let me explain. Jesus, as he was facing the cross and in the midst of the darkness, he entrusted himself to the Father. And our path is to entrust ourselves to Jesus in the midst of the darkness. Now, that is real faith. Let me try to clear something up. Real faith, Emmanuel, is not a leap in the dark. Please stop believing that that's what real faith is. 
Real faith is not a kind of arrogant sense that I've got all the answers and I've figured it all out. That's not real faith. Real faith is when we look at Jesus Christ and we say, Jesus, you, you have caused me to hope in you for, in your resurrection. And because I hope in your resurrection, I entrust myself fully to you. Jesus, you're going to have to show your power. You're going to have to keep all of your promises. I'm waiting. Now, again, some of us are suffering or facing disastrous loss. And some of us, it is a battle to entrust yourself to Jesus Christ moment by moment and breath by breath. But let me say something to you. If you're in the midst of the battle and you're not sure that you can, let me say this. This might be the most important moment of your life. Why? Here's why. That battle, that battle to entrust yourself to Jesus, that is a sign that your faith is not phony and that your faith is the real thing. Why do I say that? Well, because the Bible does. Look at verse 6 in 1 Peter. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, and then here it is, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. Jesus sees you entrusting yourself to him, though it's super hard. And when he sees that, he looks at you and he says, you know what? It's as if he says, you know what? Do you see that one? Do you see? Do you see my brother, my adopted brother and my adopted sister entrusting themselves to me in the midst of the difficulty? I want everybody to know that that's a sign of the real thing. There's no phoniness in her. There's no hypocrisy in him as he's entrusting himself to me in the midst of the difficulty because they are entrusting themselves to me just like I entrusted myself to my father. That's, that's what the real thing looks like. That's real faith. And listen, I know that when you're there, it feels weak, doesn't it? But that's okay for this reason. Faith is the open hand that receives God's power straight into our weakness. It always feels weak. And that begins to explain why real faith shines so brightly in difficulty. Think about the early Christians. So the, like I said before, the early Christians, they were notorious for their resilience. Now they were facing an enemy, Rome, who like knew how to kill people. Like Rome was good at killing people. And they could kill the Christians, but they couldn't really destroy them. They could kill their bodies, but they could not kill their hope. And very often when non-Christians saw Christians weaken themselves, but strong in trusting God's power, when they saw Christians who were, it, who, who were exhibiting real faith and real trust in Jesus despite the difficulty, they saw something compelling. And they saw something authentic and they saw something worth having and they joined and they ended up entrusting themselves to Jesus Christ. And that's part of how the church grew. Gained momentum in the time of difficulty. And let me bring this to you. Trust 
Jesus in the midst of the terrible. That might be the best gift you ever give the world around you. One author um, that I've been reading recently said, said it this way. Where God is in your loss matters more to a doubting and a cynical world than where God is in your plenty. Now, Christian, as we trust Jesus in the terrible, the world around us will look at us and begin to see something of Jesus Christ because Jesus himself trusted his father in the midst of the terrible. And they'll see living evidence that Jesus really did rise from the dead and that Jesus really is guarding you by his power moment by moment and breath by breath. And Jesus' grace will extend from you to others. So resilience starts with hope. Hope in the resurrection leads to faith moment by moment and breath by breath. Trust in Jesus. And finally, it leads to love. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, Emmanuel, I don't know what you're facing right now, but whatever you're facing right now and whatever you are going to face in the future, because if you're not suffering now, give it time. God's ultimate aim is to lead you through it, through whatever you're going through, to inexpressible joy in loving Jesus. That's God's end game for you if you belong to Christ. Remember Jesus' suffering. The greatest expression of God's love for us happened when Jesus suffered for us. And very often, the greatest expression of our love for Jesus will come when we suffer with him. Now, I know that sounds strange, but just think about it for a minute. Suffering, um, it can kind of make or break relationships, right? So sometimes um, a relationship goes through a terrible time and, and, and it falls apart, but not always. In fact, sometimes going through a time of great difficulty is precisely the thing that cements intimacy forever. So imagine uh, two soldiers go off to war, they come back, and you find that they are bound together in an intimacy and a brotherhood that no one else can penetrate because they have suffered together. You ever seen that? Or think about a couple that has survived cancer. Uh, you, you find a couple in their 70s who have walked the hard path together, and they know an intimacy that, and a union that transcends anything a 20-year-old romance could even dream of. Now, when you look at Jesus' suffering and his resurrection, and when we place all our hope in him, and when we trust him for his power, moment by moment and breath by breath, and then when we say, see him faithful to us through the tears, through the veil of tears, you see Jesus faithful to you, there is a bond that occurs with Jesus through that story. And it produces a joy that is more robust and deeper and more enduring than any other joy in the world. And it is the first taste of heaven, the first taste of heaven now. It is the pleasure of the love for which you were designed, but without Christ, you will never experience. Now, even as I say that, I know that some of us know what, some of you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And some of us don't. 
And let me say this. If you know the joy of loving Jesus, then the ultimate key to your resilience in life is going to be this. Feed on that loving bond with Jesus through constant worship. What I mean is praise Jesus constantly for the hope he has given you. Praise Jesus constantly for the trust he's building in you. Faith. Trust or praise Jesus constantly for the love that he's poured out in you. And as you do that, despite the difficulty, going through it, praising him, keeping your eyes fixed upon the beauty of Jesus Christ, as we say at Emmanuel, then someday people, people will come to you and they will say, how did you develop such resilience? How did you get through it? And you'll respond, resilience? I'm, resi- I'm not resilient. But you'll say, I belong to an unconquerable Lord. And he bought me with his blood and he guards me by his power and he fills me with joy and I am his and he is mine forever. And that's how I got through. And if you don't know the joy of loving Jesus, then let me say this. Remember, you will share the destiny of whatever you hope in the most. So what you place your hope in really, really matters. It will define your life now and it will define your eternity forever. And so I urge you, what better source of hope is there? What better basis of hope could there possibly be than the one who defeated death? And can you imagine living in a universe in which death truly has been overthrown? And right now I'm saying you can live in that universe. In fact, you do. But what needs to happen is this, ask, God to make you born again. If that sounds crazy, I know. But ask God to divest you of all fundamental deep hope in this life. And then ask God to invest you exclusively to hope finally and fully in the resurrection of Jesus. And that hope that the Father wants to give you will cause you and move you to entrust yourself to Jesus. And there, trusting Jesus, you will be filled with inexpressible joy that will begin now and will continue to grow through ages and ages and millions of years in the future. And if all that sounds audacious, it is. It's the audacity of the good news that Christ has risen from the dead. And right now, risen from the dead, he calls you by name and says, follow me. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.